0: hi welcome to sweetman podcast i'm your host i'm simon sweetman uh, thanks of course to lapidi chocolat tea leaf tea and yeasty boys for helping us out um, there's a press patron that you can go to on off the tracks if you want to donate to the podcast and to the website uh, but this is episode 107 and I had a chat with a guy I have known for a wee while, and have been meaning to get on the entire history of the podcast. His name is Dennis O'Brien. He is best known these days in Wellington as the the owner, the captain of the good ship Slowboat Records. But uh, he's a singer-songwriter. He was a, was as a musician. He had a solo recording career um, from the 70s into the 80s, and he released a few uh, records. And then uh, a couple of years ago. A sort of greatest hits compilation, a career summary, was released by Slowboat on CD. So that's available. Um, you can check that out on Spotify and all the usual places as well. Um, but yes, yeah, so Dennis is a great, a, a great. Uh, a friend and a great music knowledge, and as I say, a guy I've wanted to talk to for a while. I guess I held off for a couple of reasons. One of the very first episodes of the podcast was with his brother, Phil O'Brien, who is uh, known as a Radio New Zealand and RNZ host. And for some weird reason, uh, they're two completely different people, uh, but I just didn't want those podcasts sitting too close together. I've also talked, of course, uh, at length with Jeremy Taylor, who's a manager of Slowboat Records and has loads of strings to his bow and then when that happened I kind of wanted a bit of distance between that and talking to Dennis so we didn't talk about the same things so I'll include those two podcasts in, in the notes to this but um yeah, right now this is me talking with Dennis O'Brien and we chat about all sorts of stuff. We talk about the store and how that came about. We talk about his music career. And uh, yeah, Dennis is one of the, I think, a, a, a great tour, a great person to have a chat to. So it was great to finally find time um, for us both to sit down and have this conversation. This is me talking with Slowboat Records owner and musician Dennis O'Brien. I'm trying to think... Um, I, I'm trying to think when I when when we first met, but it was some time ago. I feel like I interviewed well, I interviewed you for what I think was Slow Boat Records' 21st birthday right. for the Dominion yeah, Post, yeah, yeah. and I you know I would have known you before that, but that's you know that's a good 10 years ago now, and we had a bit of a chat for the paper, and I do remember. I mean, you wouldn't have known me at all then, but I do remember going into the old shop when you were further up the road and. I only went a couple of times, but I do recall you and Steve from that shop. I did buy yeah. a couple of CDs. That was in my sort of earliest days. In...
1: Well, Steve, yeah, Steve's been there. He's been there a long time. And I remember um, he was hired because I had an employee that unfortunately died in, in, a, in a drowning accident one weekend about 30, 30 years ago. And Steve had been in and sold one or two things, one of which, as I constantly remind him, was it sounds like Hank Williams LP. <laughs> so my heart sank a little bit yeah. when Caroline Easter, who who was there yeah. and was subsequently there for, for many years. Yes, I remember her being in that. And yeah, <clears coughs> and well, she, recommended, she yeah. recommended Steve. But um, no, Steve's been in. We were going to have a 33 and a third party because yeah. we'd been going 33 and a third years but that means we've got to get it together by next month and at the rate we're sort of noodling along (laughs) at the moment i suspect we're not going to just wait for the 45th yeah 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 yeah, i should be so lucky um well
0: i mean i've talked to you a, a few times for uh, a couple of times for sort of interview type things and we've obviously uh you know had a natter over the counter and and here and there in a few places so i'm gonna probably bring up some things that you might think i already know this or i've or i've asked you before but um i also one of the very earliest episodes of the podcast was with your brother phil and so we you know we talked about your collective upbringing through his experience and his eyes. So I want to go back and get your thoughts on on your childhood and how things came to be in your life going back through then. So I know that um, words were really important in your life and his life early on.
1: Mm, yeah. Mu-
0: and music too.
1: Yeah, no, m- music was very... When we used to go to the flicks when we were kids, they would often have shorts before... Mm half-time and before the main feature came on. And I would be a little boy. I would be under the age of 10. And I can remember things like uh, vividly a a, a black-and-white little documentary of Johnny Ray, who in black-and-white and and everybody was screaming for him. Mm. And, you know, you listen to Johnny Ray now and you think, well, yeah, he's a bit (laughs) mum and dad. Mm. But, in fact, he spent a lot of time in black R&B clubs and that sort of thing, and a lot of his... Um, upbringing was inclined to that sort of music. So I can remember seeing this wonderful thing of Johnny Ray sitting at the piano and and singing with his tortured face. I also remember another um, little feature on Buddy Guy for some obscure reason. And this was years and years and years ago. Whereas in my household, my dad loved classical music and mum loved, uh, you know, the Rosemary Cleanies and, mm-hmm. and Doris Day's and that sort of thing. Mm. So I think it was, and on radio, of course, you got very little. You had the national program as then was, 2 mm. and 2ZB. So maybe, I, I can't remember, maybe you got a bit of Fats Domino, maybe you got a bit of Elvis. But it was pretty limited. You'd you'd get Ricky Nelson, but you probably wouldn't get um, Gene Vincent. I I Mm -hmm. don't know. But there were also specialist programs that came on as the 60s turned. So I was allowed, for example, my dad was a member of the World Record Club, along with seemingly every other person in New Zealand. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so he used to get records regularly classical things but they also had a young world what they called a young world imprint where they would release albums there was a stones album if i remember on on um, young world and there were a couple of beatles albums. magical mystery Two mm. was one that are worth a few bob now because mm-hmm. they uh, they also had different colored labels for that for that um imprint yeah so I was allowed to choose, but when I chose the Beatles album, I presume it was Please Please Me on Young World, from World Record Club, but no, Dad said, no, I must have, I can have a Peter, Paul and Mary album instead. A yeah. Peter, Paul and Mary, <laughs> I wasn't interested in at all, and yeah. they, you know, I, was a, I played piano, I didn't play guitar, so I didn't go down to folk clubs and strum along to the green grass goes all around. And uh, anyway, so I bought. The, so I was allowed the Peter Paul and Mary record. Mm. Dad, I think, thought it was you know going to be the end of of empire if uh, the Beatles and such like came on. And that would have been sixty three, sixty four, I suppose, when I was thirteen or fourteen. But it was too late then. It had been some years of of um, teen idols and and uh, rock groups. well, pop groups, we didn't get into things like doo-wop or rockabilly until much later because you just didn't really hear them apart from obvious black vocal hits like the Platters. Before that, you'd had the Ink Spots and you'd had the Mills Brothers, maybe that sort of vocal harmony, or on the white side, you'd have four freshmen and four aces and four lads Mm, mm. and that sort of thing. But it was all grist to the mill because all music was music. You know, you didn't make the distinction at that point. Mm. You know, the the prime exhibit of that was when Lulu toured with Jimi Hendrix and Engelbert Humperdinck and Cat Stevens or something. You know, yeah, yeah. they would do that up to about sixty seven, I suppose, and then everything was, you know, a Sunday. Yeah, there was a definite pop. And rock and Yeah, cool and uncool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and all of that. But when, when I was younger, mm. they were pop singles and they were great pop singles. Mm. Right through that sort of 64, 65, 66, you had the garage singles, which we didn't know were garage singles. They were just great 45s. Mm. By those sort of groups, Every Mother's Son and Christian Mark and the Mysterians and the Gentries and the, you name it. So it was all pop music, it was all rock and roll Mm. and I used to keep charts, we started off doing charts in Christian doctrine class at school, um, about 64, 65, 66 I suppose, three or four years because, and we'd have the four of us sitting in the class. Two sitting next to each other and two behind us, and we'd do a top 20 every week. So we'd have, and I've still got them, mm. I've still got the charts, we'll have bubbling unders, we'd have last week, <laughs> you know, and you can trace the ways. A friend of mine turned up from that time and he said, um, a year or two ago, he said, and you couldn't stand question marking the mysterious 96 tears. And I said, no. No, surely <laughs> I loved that." And he said, "No, I can remember vividly you didn't vote for that one that one week, because <laughs> we'd do it 10 to one to 10, mm-hmm. and then they'd get put in, in the top 20. So what we imagine we loved back then is not always to be entirely relied mm-hmm. on. Well, what you're sort of
0: suggesting to me anyway is that the, the rise of the rock album and the rock show is kind of what,
1: what created the music snob. You know, I suppose so. Yeah. But also rock albums became and soul soul stuff because mm. when I went to university in '67, I did record reviews for Salient. I can remember doing Hot Muttered Soul, <laughs> wow. and Rory Gallagher album, and Delaney and Bonnie album. This was I don't know what year it was, mm. and um, they 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 were just as exciting. You know they were it. just as exciting oh, yeah, as anything yeah, that had yeah. gone before. And you know there were Leon Russell and there was. I remember giving a really good review to Bob Dylan's double album of *Self Portrait*
0: because mm. I really liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always had a uh, soft spot for that, and that's that's one of the like, maligned, you know, yeah. records in his career. But, but if you
1: like yeah, something, yeah, you, know, you like it. Yeah. But you know, when people would come around to the house, friends would come around the house. I'd have to put certain records that I had the cool elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Out, out of the way. On the display. So out what, of the way.
0: What What made you want to do record reviews for Salient?
1: Free records, like no, I don't even think I got <laughs> free records. Yeah, no, I don't know. So It was more about the expression of. I wasn't a big. I mean, I wasn't involved in that uh, in, in any big deal. In yeah. fact, the staff at Salient that particular year resigned en masse over some uh, yeah. infringement of their rights, but nobody bothered to tell me. So I handed <laughs> in my copy as normal. <laughs> Happy <laughs> to find that where it be something more serious, I might well have been blacklisted from the How journalist funny. union yeah. or something.
0: God, I was just thinking, you gave me a flashback to that's my first printed record reviews were in salient, you know. Really? And 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 I was thinking, why didn't I get to write about cool things like that? I I wrote about absolute garbage, non entity bands from the mid mid to late nineties, you know, that don't exist now and don't mean anything at all. Uh, you know, and my, your well, no. Was, the great thing is, it's good that no one thinks fondly of them because they won't go looking for these appallingly written reviews. Oh, you okay. know, it's, like, it's, it's all disappeared. But yeah, yeah. you know, it's, that's just quite funny to think about. So, you, what, what did you go to
1: university to do, and what, what was your plan? I went to university because you went to yeah, university. Yeah, um, I didn't get. I got a, a fairly average school C pass, then failed. Didn't get accredited UE. I don't know why. But anyway, I didn't, probably because I was lazy and had to go back the next year, lower sixth as then was, and because I sat UE and it was notorious for passing, for being able to pass UE in those days. It was really tough. So my friend Nick, Nick Theobald and I, we both failed the UE. We went back next year and we got um, accredited, but we didn't want to stay on, go to upper six because all our contemporaries, albeit a year ahead, mm. were leaving at the same time. So we went to, to um, university at the same time, 67. And there were, you know, I worked in an antiquarian bookshop. I got a job there, worked in that, had the band and night, did commercial office cleaning often in the middle of the night. I didn't make friends at university because I was part-time and although you didn't have to pay to go there, you had to have money to live on, especially at that age. You know, you, you know, So I was talking witty. Mary, is a good customer of ours, was in the other day and he said, I'm doing a second volume of memoirs and, and he said, you're in it because there was you and Simon Morris and somebody else was there in the class who were, you know, mm. pops, pop players, pop singers yeah, yeah, yeah. and bands and this sort of thing. Cool people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I used to walk up to Varsity with Witty because he'd come into Smith's Bookshop where yeah, I was, right. wow. which was a wonderful place and a wonderful place to spend your university years um, because, you know, you grew to love books as objects as much as what was in them. You mm. grew mm. to understand and they were times when you could buy you know, Victorian illustrated books or Edwardian illustrated books um, for a price that you could sort of get around to affording. Mm. Nowadays they might cost you, you know, 400 quid or something Mm. like (laughs) that or 500 whatever. But I have firsts of things like, um, I don't know, some modern firsts that you're able to pick up for six shillings, or Mm. you know. Mm. But yeah, so that's what I do. An arts degree. Well, I never finished it because I was a couple of credits short. Then the job Gosh, came up. This so so, is all sounding
0: eerily familiar. But um, the, the you say you had the band at night. You yeah. would have been doing material uh, covers. Yeah,
1: yeah. Working we did covers.
0: Yeah, a couple of sets a night.
1: Well, we used to work late. Sometimes at uh, we played at the uh, Coma around Oriental Bay which was great but we again we got paid in steak and chips yeah then we played at the attic i remember which was upstairs in in courtney place and we used to arrange our own dances suburban dances Mm. and um we'd do 21sts and things like that Mm. Uh, and that's that's what you did in those days you played in the village in the suburban village halls. Small combo, are you singing as well as playing or are you just a piano player? I started off just singing. Yeah, right. Um, which I've never liked doing on its own. I, I, I can sing and play for hour upon hour if I'm playing the piano. Mm-hmm. If I stand up and sing, my voice goes within about half an hour Wow! because I tend to over saying and mm-hmm. i need that something or i need, need something right? to hang Not on now. to yeah 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 i needed that something to get strength through my mm-hmm. home somehow mm. but yes we started out as literally a garage brand because we used to rehearse in the garage of uh, a mate uh, chris anderson who oddly enough designed the slow boat logo way back thirty, forty 40 years ago um he just died uh, but his family home was up in connor terrace and so Ooh. We used to put the amps and things on the old man's car yeah. and and practice there. Wow! But you know,
0: when do you take um, sort of steps towards writing your
1: own songs? But, well, Nick, Nick started writing first um, about nineteen. Well, I couldn't speak for him. I seem to remember about nineteen seventy. Um, so, because he could do it, I started. Mm. um before we went to england and um but he he was he worked by himself very very good a lyricist and a melody writer so we were influenced by at that time i don't know the band i suppose leon russell um you know those sort of things. So a lot of the white-eyed, blue-eyed soul mm. from that time, and I found it more difficult, I suspect, than him. I don't know whether because writing on the piano was a harder thing, but also I, one major problem that I had was that although I may have had a lot to say, I had no burning desire to actually say it. <laughs> so when I wrote lyrics they would be sometimes ridiculous. Mm. I'd look at books on the top of the piano. Mm. So I wrote, Just I wrote phrases songs and titles, like yeah. Penguin Island because there was an Anatole <laughs> France book called Penguin Island and things like that. Um, the Captain Sins, Captain Sparrow was another one because mm. there's a book called Captain Sparrow's something or other. There was a penguin <laughs> on the top. Of, so I wasn't very good at lyrics. And although I wrote some songs, uh, I wrote quite a few songs at that time, on my own, some of which went on um, the first album. I was never happy about writing um, words. I was—I tend to get a bit chocolate boxy, so I flagged it after a bit. <laughs> I didn't—I didn't need to say things. Mm. You know, there, there are a lot of—you know—the tragic things that have happened in my life and that sort of thing. I've never had any desire to, to put them in put place. them out there no, for, yeah no. you'll, music you'll music tell people person. about them when you yeah. get people on that yeah. level rather than announce it to i just won't yeah. don't, don't need to get up in the middle of the night and write down mm. earnest thoughts you know mm-hmm. from home thoughts from abroad type thing so <laughs> now remind me so you go to england on
0: the boat Playing is that right? Yeah. You, those schemes that used to operate, where you yeah. basically—that was the way you got across there. Was you played on the boat, yeah. and that was your travel. Yeah, you paid got for. you got paid a little, little yeah, 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 stipend.
1: Yeah, you got cheap grog. Yeah, and you had five or six weeks. It was an adventure on a ship with filled with nineteen-year-old. Girls, yeah. So student nurses so and things all, like so it this. it wasn't all bad. wasn't all bad. That's why on the way back I met my wife. So there are, um, you're playing at lunchtime in one lounge, you're playing mm. early evening in another lounge, and then you're doing maybe the smoking lounge later on at night. Mm. So you're doing the quiet thing. You also have to join in with... The pantomime and the crossing of the <laughs> equator and all that carry on. Mm. I mean, it's been done. I think the Dizzy Limits did it. Maybe the Formula did it. Um, they stopped hiring bands about 1970. I seem to recall two. the dedication. Dedication. Did it, well? martyr, Did they? Yeah. It was, it was a real... Trick And it was very easy. I mean, yeah. somebody said, why don't you try for it? So we went down to Shore Savile and they said, you're all right, we'll, we'll come along to a practice. We were practicing in the Varsity Music Room at that time. Mm. So they came up to the university on a Saturday morning or something. We played three songs, I think we did. I started a joke from the B G S, Gees, uh, something else, and we did uh, to show our sophistication. Uh, instrumentally, we did Golf Me which mm. luckily... They flagged before we got to the bridge, which I never actually... <laughs> <Head mastered. down. laughs> yeah, yeah. So they said, yeah, yeah, it's fine. When do you want to go? Mm. So, so we left in whenever it was, early April or end of March somewhere. And uh, they said, how long do you want to stay? Well, Nick had to get back to his girlfriend, so uh, we had about eight months, I think, mm. over there. And uh, we didn't do anything musically over there, but I used to play in pubs, so Made three quid a night going to play in. As a piano man. Just as a pianist. Yeah. And I'd do all the old songs that I'd been brought up with. Nostalgia favourites. Down at the old Wollong Bush yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. Sometimes I might be lucky and I could sing and I'd do James Taylory y type things. Um, but often I would just walk in in my tie dyed t shirt and long hair and beard and go into the bar where there'd be a telly on up there and they'd turn the telly off and everyone would look round at me as though I was... <laughs> <laughs>
0: <and> <laughs> like would <laughs> Yes, that's right.
1: I'd have to sit down and play the piano, yeah. um, which I couldn't do now if you put a gun to my head, I don't think. <laughs> but it was great fun and I did it three nights a week yeah. for month after month after month and uh, often got called back. I think I was let go once or twice. But you'd have to travel... Part of London, catch the train, get home late, but then pubs closed at you know whenever ten o'clock or something. Then
0: what was the cultural experience like for you? And and I guess post swinging London. Um. Outside of the, you know what you just described, what you were doing for for a crust and and uh, for something to do, what other adventures were happening for you? And
1: no, we just, uh, I mean, uh, we all went off to Europe by ourselves, although I advertised for um, somebody to go with at New Zealand House when New Zealand House was the place you could go to and meet other New Zealanders and put messages for flatmates wanted or look up Mm. places and that sort of thing. Um, Then I put an ad up for somebody to um, go to Europe with because I wanted to go for a couple of months and I didn't think I wanted to go by myself. So I advertised, and I got a young woman um, uh, rang me up, and I went down to meet her, and she was the niece of Bert Weedon, mm. who was the sort of the guitar player in England before mm. Hank Marvin. He used to have something like play a tune in a day, mm. teaching th- teaching manuals that were very very successful. The Bonzos did a thing called We Are Normal, and we dig Bert Whedon. Anyway, it was it was Bert Whedon's niece mm. and so we met once or and twice and i left all my stuff down to parents place down in surrey somewhere and i off we went to have the adventure up to victoria station got on the, and i suddenly realized that this was not something that i could do i just suddenly realized i'd made a terrible mistake with this poor girl mm. who was going to hitchhike with me <laughs> and we were on the we, had, we got on the ferry and i said and look i'm I can't do it. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. And um, the poor girl, I, I don't know what I was thinking. She had to go and she we got to Paris, we parted, she went to her grandmother's and I headed off by myself, which was actually terrific. I just knew that it wasn't going to work and I was going to have to cut it then. Mm. Why I didn't bloody work that out beforehand, of course, was something else entirely. And it did unfortunately leave the business of having to go back down to her parents when I got back from my trip to pick up all my stuff, which was not a <laughs> pleasant <laughs> yeah, experience. <all> <laughs> so, you know, you were, you were age 21 or whatever and, and everything was ahead of you and uh, it was just music. It was just pop music. And I think part of my problem being there as time went on in the 70s was that I didn't really have a, what you'd call a sort of social conscience. So when punk came along, when that sort of music came along that was born of of kids picking up guitars and thrashing them and coming from the streets of Mm. London and that sort of thing, I was not a part of that. I didn't feel a part of that. It wasn't that I was particularly old, although I may have been 27 or something, 26, 27, something like that. But mm. I, I, that was probably a bit old even then. But I wasn't, I couldn't get up there and go, damn the system or, yeah. you know, yeah, anything like that. And yeah. so that all of a sudden was when New Zealand seemed like a different, place from England whereas I always thought of England as a sort of second home and I do still think that but I didn't have that thing and when I appeared at Reading I was on a bill with you know the jam with penetration with uh sham 69 and that sort of thing they were very much youth Mm. our youth Mm. out in the streets do it Whereas I was still, in some ways, thought the music spoke for itself and that was sufficient. Mm. And I, you know, John Peel was the MC, And so I I, I got off stage alive and I was quite happy to do that, Mm. quite happy to have done it and happy to have got off unscathed despite things thrown at us. Uh, And I had a big band, but I have no recollection of what I sang. No recollection of... Any of the material that I sang, oh. um, any coverage of it in terms of uh, reportage? Well, oddly enough, there's a there's a site that we have fans of you know festival yeah. ge- that's been yeah, yeah, yeah. put on, and there was one Reading Festival 1978, and uh, there were there were some comments. Some guy right in said, first act because I was first on," yeah. um, was some guy from Australia, I think <laughs> he who'd won a talent contest or something um, and and was reduced to tears. Well, I wasn't reduced to tears. It was Jimmy Percy from Sham 69 who was reduced right. to tears. But um, it was, you know, we'd get, we got these big, what, these Party 7 cans that they'd piss in mm. when they'd finished the beer or even if they hadn't finished the beer <laughs> and throw them. They were, they'd hold ten pints. Yeah, they yeah. were big things that he'd have them on stage. And it, early on it became a thing to try and land a can in the piano, because I had a grand piano. <laughs> yeah, with yeah. It was exposed. Mm. But I loved it. And somebody uh, came up from another band, and I'll never forget it, and I've said it before, but a young black guy was a bass player for one of the punky bands that came after me. I was leaning on the bar by myself in the tent, uh, in the ligger's tent, and he kind of said, you did really good, man. That meant, that justified the whole thing to me mm. in a sense. Mm. Uh, I didn't care. But I couldn't, it was that lack of a social conscience, I, I suppose. That's that's partly what it is. I mean, I, th- I may think strongly about things, but I've never been a one to... Not in a performative sense. No, like, not, not, a, yeah. not in a performative sense and not in a social sense either. Yeah. I was dragged along by... A girlfriend of mine to protest about Bastion Point in London at some point, mm. give it back to, to the Maori. Or so. I had no idea what Bastion Point was, I, you know. But there I am photographed on the front of New Zealand News or whatever it was then, <laughs> standing behind the picket line with people going like that.
0: You felt like a phony.
1: Oh, of course I was. I mean, I was, Kathy said, come along, come along. No, you must come along. We've all got to, yeah, all right, okay. So it was somewhere in Haymarket or something, I think. But I never, I never had that. I don't quite know why I didn't have that sort of social sense. But, but yes, at a time when that meant something in music, Mm. it left me a little stranded where Mm. I was. Perhaps if I'd been in the States... Um, if I'd been in New York, say, mm. it might have been different. But then I never wanted to go to America anyway. I only ever wanted to go to England.
0: Might have been on the on the opening the bell for the No Nukes
1: concert or something. Well, I don't <laughs> yeah, Yeah, right. That's right. I don't know. I, I just, I, I didn't see it as a part of the rock and roll and the music that I knew, I think. Mm. Mm. Uh, and because I wasn't interested in folk music, the, you know, I wasn't interested in Woody Guthrie, I wasn't interested in Pete Seeger and all that sort of stuff that came. Um, and early Dylan, acoustic Dylan, left me dead. Um, it wasn't until he went electric that I loved Kid. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, all right, so what brings you back to New Zealand? Oh, I got sick of being poor. All my mates had gone back... Um, some couple of years prior. And it was sunny in New Zealand, and it uh, they were all playing in bands around Wellington and playing in pubs and earning money. There was still, you know, there was the pub circuit. Mm, yeah, and, right. And you could move So from, it was doable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, big pub to big pub. Mm. And uh, I was the last one over there, and I just didn't have any money. And so I put my hopes on a couple of singles, and I thought, right, if if that one and that one cuts it, but I never had anybody that said to me, "Look, record this, this song, it'll be a hit." I would have done so, like Mike Boland used to, you know. Mm. It, it, he just wanted somebody to say to him,
0: "Do this." You want to be a star? Yeah, yeah. Do
1: this. Yeah. I wanted that instead. Instead of people saying, "Oh, you're really good, and I love your, your, your songs," and blah blah blah, uh, I wanted somebody to say here's a song called sugar sugar mm, mm. record it it's going to go and i would yeah, have yeah, i'm yeah. sorry i would have yeah you know, yeah if yeah. it was going to be a hit because they were hits and i i did so you know i i appeared on bbc one in mid-afternoon with gary taylor the bass player from Rafferty's band and we did a thing solo in the middle of the afternoon which got repeated on BBC One you wouldn't get that now in 100 years I tried various things, I bumped into I was in a cafe and Dave Lee Travis, the DJ he's come to grief a bit I think, was over there and i just come from the record company I had my So I went over and gave him one, and mm. uh, it was that that was instrumental in getting the BBC thing, but they didn't take off and it's not surprising. I had poor choice of singles in the main and I just didn't have any real idea of what to do. It was like making videos. Unless you're a natural, if you've got to, especially I made videos where I was standing. I wasn't mm, playing mm. sitting at the piano. Because sitting at the piano can be a bit static. But I didn't know what to do. Once I got off, I didn't know what to do with my hands or <laughs> yeah, anything. Nobody yeah. pointed me in any directions. Yeah. They just said, all right, just do it. And I wasn't very good. And you can see my videos. And uh, You know, the only half-decent one is one where I didn't actually perform, where I followed a sort of a storyline, if you Mm, like. But other than that, they were pretty awful um, because I didn't know. Mm. I wasn't trained about going to Motown dance school or something, Mm. but uh, that's the way of it.
0: So, So but you put out three records? I put out three three full albums and the last of them comes out in what year? 82 82, 83 83? yeah yeah and so you're working steadily enough doing this it's you've got money coming in through playing yeah Yeah. and do you amass a whole lot of songs that you don't record or as a sort of
1: not a not a huge amount I mean a lot of them well there was a large amount I've got Tape with a hundred songs on it that we, that I demoed and what have you, but a lot of them I, w- I wouldn't give the time of day to, mm-hmm. um, and I was going to uh, bring out a second album of old stuff, and I've got some demos of songs that I did just me and piano, that I'm happy with, and I thought they are good songs and they ought not to die mm. or be left to, to die, so I've uh, I've made overtures to get. Um, a bit of help to add, and that's what I was going to get with, with Luke. Mm. A, you know, he said, yeah, we'll do that. I said, just put some stuff on, whatever, mm. so, and just see if we can tart them up a bit. Resurrect them. Is, yeah, resurrect yeah. them, yeah. yeah. And if if I can get my A and a gear, uh, you know, sufficiently, we'll do that over the next year or two. But mm. I say over the next year or two, but at my age, of course, you... Get them ready for that slow boat
0: 45th. Yeah, yeah, of the you 45th. Because... I remember, I do remember when I when I first interviewed you for the paper for that 21st birthday, I remember you saying, you know, the records existed, they're on vinyl. You possibly had some in the shop or had them go through the shop. Other people could find them in secondhand stores, but they weren't available. They weren't around on CD. And I remember you saying that, you know, the idea of resuscitating those in any way was not of interest to you then then you do put out a compilation cd you do digitize them as a later on you know a few years on from that as a sort of archival project so it strikes me that you have this um maybe not quite a love hate but
1: yeah i just thought that a lot of that stuff was stuck in the 70s yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. 80s so you move through different versions yeah. of it, not quite an embarrassment, but yeah. you know it's, you it's, it's
0: it's left there and it's of its time. and yeah. then, and then as you get older, you think, well, Maybe not for me personally, but for some other people connected to me, they might want
1: a record of this, pardon the pun, you know, an actual... But I listened to them afresh and I thought,
0: well... There's more
1: in this than I... Blow me down, they're not actually half bad. I mean, I discovered some poetry that I'd written when I was at university there, about a year ago, and it had been buried for Mm. 50, best part of 50 years, and this poetry that I thought at the time was pretty... Bad. Oh, you thought it was good then, yeah, was yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I looked at it and I thought, God, <laughs> if I die and my family go through my things and Burn find it this quickly. poetry, <laughs> I got rid of it yeah, all. Yeah, Even yeah, Even though it had been sitting in a box for yeah. 50 years. Yeah, yeah, I'm still,
0: you know, I've got a box of folders full of typed out poems. And I know where they are, but we sort of just don't really speak of it. You know, it's, you know, I, know I know where they are, but mm. um, it's sufficiently hidden that it won't be the first thing that gets...
1: Well, well, you, found in a ransack. You read them anew, and maybe maybe you think, well, it, it represented what I was at the time. Yeah, so yeah, let yeah. it stand. But yeah, yeah. there comes a point at which perhaps they are so embarrassing that you'd best dispose of them. Well, the thing yeah. is, you know, it's, it's it, it it's no different to it, it,
0: in concept. It's or well, in theory, it's no different to um, you know a good sportsman's first attempts at whacking a cricket ball back and forth against a concrete wall. No one sees that. You know, that just happens and then Mm. suddenly they're a very good batsman. uh, You know, uh, when I say suddenly, after years and years of that. But if you work in a medium like writing, there is some some concrete evidence of how shit you were. (laughs) But it's actually just your... Version of banging a ball against a wall. Yeah,
1: you know the fact that it might be done in if public, or banging your head against a wall, as it might be. But you know, it's it, but it's it wouldn't have stayed like that for too long with you. I mean, you would have thought, well, maybe this is beginner's efforts. But obviously, there were people that said that encouraged you to continue.
0: Mm, no, I don't. I don't think so. With me, I think the only person that's encouraged me to continue has been me. But. And you know, against against better judgment in some ways, but you know, that's that's fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm I'm happy enough with that. No, I um I, 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 I'm not even trying to be silly there. I think that's I don't know that anyone really was super encouraging of it. But you have your little milestones and moments where you think, um, I've got runs on the board here.
1: Yeah, I mean the, the little things anyway. That yeah. that um, that are pointers in your life, and none of us grow up you know, without um, failures and mm. without little um, indiscretions and without all these sort of things that ultimately are supposed to make you a perfect human being in the end, but of course mm. we're not so fortunate <laughs> and age does, they say, bring a degree of wisdom, but uh, I think it's more like the sort of, well, you've got to do that once to know you won't do mm. it again. Mm. You'll just do it again a different way. Mm. You know you'd say, oh, "I'll learn from that. I won't uh, make that mistake again." <laughs>
0: so when do you when do you get um, I, I wonder I want to know how close together the sort of formation of selling records and the and the slowboat store and branders and and the kind of closing off of your music career. Do they happen? Do they dovetail? Do they happen... Yeah,
1: I kept on playing Mm. at nights for for about ten years Mm -hmm. when I started the shop. Um, And I was still playing and I still felt that, you know, if I could write a game... Because a a career, as far as I was concerned, was dependent upon the material that I could
0: Mm.
1: get and could write. Otherwise, there would be no point. Um, I may as well just join a country band or... Mm. Um, you know, no, I didn't. Didn't want that. So I did it about ten years. I started the record shop because um, we, we we suffered a, a, a tragedy with our little, with our firstborn, that necessitated um, one income, and it had to be me, pretty much. So I uh, started off selling in a market. that... Did that for a year or so, and then found a storeroom in Plymouth Steps at thirty dollars a week rent or something like that. At that point, just above uh, Toad Hall, and I did that for a year, and then I bought the business, which was in Cuba Street, that effectively made its money through selling girly mags um, and uh, as well as records and books. Mm. So I bought that business, phased out the books and the girly mags and um, s- stayed there for about, uh, I don't know, 12 years or something. That's
0: the original that's location the original that one, I yeah. remember.
1: Yeah. That's, is
0: that the kebab shop or something now or something like yeah, that? I, yeah, I kind of made like, a few or, yeah, or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's up there, isn't it? It's like it's only really a few doors down from... Yeah. I always sort of, yeah, I lose my bearing on which place it was, but I do have
1: a... I think it's a Bergen place. Yeah, yeah,
0: I think you might be right. I have a memory of... Um, yeah, I do have memory of Caroline being there, and that and was... Uh, I, I remember being struck by her behind the counter going, she looks brilliant, she looks important, she looks... You know, before I knew anything what about did, what yeah. she... You know, and then I realised she did have this interesting, important, fascinating music career that was happening around all of that, that she'd been in these bands and yeah. and, and and played songs herself and stuff. But she, you know how, and I guess this is that ideal of, you know, cool people in record stores or whatever, you just, sometimes you look at the person behind the counter and think, you know, I wonder what they do when they're not doing this. They obviously make, you know, they obviously make music or they have done all, yeah. you know?
1: I mean, there's a, there is a danger in having musicians and hiring musicians, <laughs> Uh, because they can be on the, you know, ranging gigs and going away yeah, gigs yeah, and things like that. But yeah. that's that. So,
0: t- take me back when, when, when you um, just clarify when you started off selling. I mean, like almost like a car boot thing, doing the market stuff. Are you selling your own records? Where what are you no, sourcing? No,
1: what, you... what I'd started to do was I um, some re- somehow I'd got in touch with Echo Records in Christchurch, and uh, so I started picking up records here and there in the days when Silvio would buy a record for a dollar and sell it for $2. And if it was old, that meant it it was worth less. So Mm. you could pick up a Frankie Lyman 10-inch for $2 or something Mm. or other. And so I started to make lists of, and I'd send them down to Echo, and um, they'd write, i put Larry Williams um, here's Larry Williams on London and then they put seven next to it, you know, mm. mm. they give me seven dollars for it or something. Mm. So I'd send the list down, type the list, send it down and they'd send it back with the prices. I'd send the records down to them. I did that for a, a year or two and then uh, all of a sudden it became necessary that I have a, 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 a you know a more reliable income in the mm, sense mm. that although i had a reliable income playing that wasn't something that you envisaged going on forever yeah so that's when i started and i got to know the guys from echo records in those days that was 35 to 40 years ago um they subsequently were very were quite instrumental in helping with opportunities for our daughter we took it down to Christchurch and. And whatnot. So I think very fondly of of those guys at that time, and uh, so I uh, it wasn't my own records because I was still collecting. Mm. I still collected forty fives and that. But I got to a point as the years went by that I realised there was just no point in taking the shop home. Yeah, yeah. It was pointless. So yeah, um, I stopped. I stopped doing that. And I took all my 45s in about five or six years ago, but I just haven't got around to do anything with them at the shop. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course. But yeah, I know. I just found stuff, bought and sold, and then people started to turn up with stuff, Mm. you know, and it was entirely secondhand.
0: Mm -hmm. It was
1: entirely secondhand, and it was a brilliant time to be at it. Um, And I can remember when we got our first CD in, which was a James Last CD. One CD. You didn't because know what you to would do have you would have
0: only been what up and running properly as a actual shop yeah. for not a l- not very long before the CDs. Well, see, when started CDs creeping kind of in, eighty six. Oh, was it, it, it Di- eighty five? Like, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Was Brothers and Arms was the face. big
0: was the big um, hi fi tester, wasn't yeah, it?
1: Yeah. So that was eighty five. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I remember the guy who bought it, a middle-aged guy, and he got got on the ball pretty quickly. But we put it in the window. We didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> we didn't have a player or anything. How great
0: that James Last was the first. Yeah, James Last.
1: <laughs> I should have kept it, I Yeah, suppose, I know. But,
0: uh, yeah, you could have. Yeah. I wouldn't have played it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's got to be a good chance, if not your store, that that CD ended up back in a yeah. store, possibly fairly yeah. quickly. Yep. You know so, yeah, so that must have... So was it a bit of a rush after that CDs suddenly? Uh, took
1: a while. It would have taken a while it in terms of the second-hand thing. Because you were still selling yeah. cassettes, yeah. Um, which the previous owner used to keep in a, in a locked glass <laughs> cabinet by the door. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we sold a lot of cassettes. And vinyl was still... You know, if you could get hooked up with a record company, which was to get off, you know, cuts and things mm. like that. But I didn't because Silvio's was, had been going and Stan and... Uh, uh, God, his name's gone out him Steve had it running down the road Mm-mm. and they had the contacts in the local record companies. But occasionally I could go out to somewhere like a polygram at Miramar, and there'd mm. be boxes of LPs, and mm. I can remember some of them. There'd be maybe dozens, dozens of copies of, of a Funkadelic album with a with a with a sort of pop-up middle mm. in it, and you could get them for about a dollar fifty or something or other.
0: I remember Silvio's was. Is that where RPM is now? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it is. I think it
1: is because yeah. I remember
0: I do, I remember going in there only a few times. I I definitely remember going in when it basically when it closed down. And I think I went in on a day when basically everything was a dollar. And I bought <clears throat> that was when I really spearheaded my the start of a record collection. I remember drawing out a hundred dollars and buying a hundred records. Okay. And, you know, I had to they had they had these flimsy cardboard boxes and I was a student. This might have been my first year. I don't know where I got a hundred bucks from, but thanks, Dad. And I uh, and I um, yeah, just bought all this crap that I didn't really need, but that was, you know, pre-internet, so that was my education. Yeah. It was a big part of my education. So, was bu- you know, buying all the, you know, things I'd heard of,
1: you know. Well, there were albums that never sold, yeah. sold here. That oh, some of, I mean, some Andy of that stuff I've... Andy Gene Magine Clark, all those of things.
0: Some of the things I know I've still got from that haul, and a lot of them I've given away, traded in, passed on, or they've broken or whatever, But but, yeah, there were... Some real cornerstone yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it's, didn't it's, sell at the time. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. For two and six at McKenzie's or whatever, you know. One man's shit is another man's well, sugar, right? Well,
1: like, Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'd get my eye for some things that didn't sell yeah. way back. Yeah. And I remember going in the bargain bin of the Lamp House or something or other. Mm. But, you know, you used to have to, if you wanted a new album those days, you had to save, it would save mm. months. Mm. Nowadays records are expensive, maybe they're forty fifty dollars <coughs> excuse me yeah for new things, but you know people that's no big deal that's a couple yeah. of hours work maybe. yeah yeah yeah, but in the days when records were thirty nine and six or forty two and six or whatever, and a singer was seven and six when you're only <laughs> earning maybe uh, you know yeah seventeen dollars a week or something yeah. it was tricky um so you- the early da- early
0: days of Slowboat being set up in Cuba Street, you've got Caroline working there, you've got Steve working there. Yeah, that's the crew
1: and you. Yeah, a couple of others. Yeah, some, some ringers. People came and, out. People came and, and and went. People, you know, young people from local bands, yeah. and that sort of thing, worked there. I remember there was one Cynthia from Number Nine, a group called Number Nine there but there were there were yeah a lot of people came and, and went and uh, we just sort of kept it in that sort of family way really yeah. and then when we moved down the road uh, it was going up for rent and the rent would double the rent was going to double from 500 to a thousand dollars a week but you know we were on a roll over those years so we could I, I figured we could handle it. then they decided not to rent it they decided to sell it. And so it was Lucky, who was um, uh, runs the, the fruit shop, Dial Brothers, yeah. who's been in Cuba Street for longer than I have, yeah, yeah. Um, said, why don't we buy it? Why don't we buy the building? Why don't we put in an offer? And I thought, oh, musicians don't buy property like <laughs> yeah, that. <yet."> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, then Lucky said, no, I'll, no we've got something else, so I'll, I'll pull out of it. And so I went for it and left my lawyer to to sort of look after it. And then Susie and I went down, the kids to Nelson or somewhere like that, Christchurch, I can't remember. And um, we got a fax saying you're, you're now the owner of a building. Well, I you know, that would not happen now. Yeah, yeah. Because somebody like me would be jumped at the gate First by, by yep. anybody, any other yeah. property owner yeah. who, who was able to raise the price sufficiently, yes. you know, yeah. easy. But in those days, that was only f- 15 to 20 years ago, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So you got in
0: at the right time, as as, as a lot of people end up saying about property.
1: Yeah, it was you, luck.
0: Yeah.
1: It was luck. We put, I mean, we put the bid in, which was only about $5,000 more than the previous bid, so... Mm-hmm. And 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 got it and that was a necessary thing because all of a sudden I, I wasn't at the mercy of uh, mm, mm. landlords and you know but then I always figure you got luck on this hand you got bad luck on that hand and good luck on that hand and <laughs> yeah. you know I maybe trade all the all the good luck on that hand if I didn't have the bad luck in that hand, but yeah, yeah, that's
0: the way it goes. So then, then you start to get a few new people into the shop working. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. we've had a lot over the years. But, you,
0: but one of the things you're known for is is really, uh, I get and I guess this is uh, goes both ways. But an incredibly loyal staff, people that have worked for you for a long time. You're obviously very loyal and supportive
1: and helpful and generous to them, and they are to you in return. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to have staff. You are your staff to a large mm, mm, extent. Mm. And I've got to the age now where if, if certain staff left, I don't know whether I could be bothered actually, you know... Keeping it going? Yeah, keeping it going because it, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a declining industry. Um, S- selling physical product on the yeah. high street. Yeah. And I don't want to go um, sit at home online and sell stuff. I, can't, yeah. I just can't be bothered. But you've managed to keep going through... Yeah, well,
0: I, I guess a decade ago, they started referring to it as trying times. Yeah. And now it's beyond that in and, and many ways. And obviously there's been... People talk of a vinyl revival um, and, and, I guess whatever you believe in that this there certainly is or has been one and something like record store day and the fact that that's now 11 years old yeah proves that there has been such a thing um
1: but i don't know how vinyl will Mm. continue it may it may peter out after another 10 years okay whatever and of course, we got rid of typical Kiwi way. We got rid of all the, the baby with the bathwater. We yeah. We closed down all the rec, all the um, pressing yeah. plants and the recording yeah, yeah, yeah. studios and things like that. Yeah. So we now have to get all our. our yes, yeah, so it's um, always going to be more expensive. Imported. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Although oddly enough, when I go to London or somewhere like that, the prices there are allowing for a two to one, say. Mm. Um, currency change about Mm. the same price Mm. which surprises me I went to Soul Jazz which is in Soho and the record's in the Soul Jazz shop Mm. where the offices are has the same price in New Zealand as we have here
0: I don't know if I'm going to the wrong places but when I've record shopped in Australia. I think it's horrendously priced, really expensive. Maybe can, I'm going to the wrong... Maybe you're just going maybe, to CBD. Yeah, maybe I'm just going to the wrong joints and I haven't found the, the tasty little record stores that, the, you know, the, the equivalent yeah. of your store and, and so forth over there. But um, I haven't just been going to the boring old bulk chains that have records no, as well. But, any them yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I remember you sort of described... Trying to remember your exact phrase, but your your sort of uh, what's the word your your aim for slowboat. Your um, description was that it was going to be like a
1: Victorian, Victorian
0: mantelpiece. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, most most secondhand shops and that. Uh, yeah. But I, I find as I get older, I, I I can't be bothered getting down on my knees and scraping through. Yeah. Boxes where things are likely to fall on me in shops and that sort of thing. Mm. So occasionally I get a bit, um, I get a bit blue about the fact that you know there's so much stuff that I'm never going to get to the end of it before I drop brown bread and, um, Yes, I did like the Victorian yeah. piece approach, but you, you like a little bit of order as you maybe as you get yeah, older, yeah, yeah. and also uh, a lot of our customers, you know, they're not kids almost exclusively mm. as they were in the old uh, in older mm-hmm. times, mm-hmm. Um, coming in for their uh, new stone single or whatever the the, the hit was that week. Um, these are older people now who come in my age, baby boomers and things like that, who are more inclined to spend money. Mm. So, you know... And Wellington is is unfortunate in the sense that it doesn't have... It doesn't have gigs. It doesn't have enough gigs. Mm. There not, not enough people come to town. If the big artists come, they might come to Auckland or go to... Krupp, but they don't come to Wellington often enough. So we lose out on those... that lot of people coming from the provinces or coming up from... Um, this from down south to Wellington to converge and let's go to the record shop. Let's go to Slowboat. But yeah, we've always tried to have tried to have a family atmosphere because I can't imagine why one would not want to. I mean, unless you're going to be out there aiming for making a million bucks. Well, we don't make you know, as the truth be known, not a great deal of money now. But. It supports the staff, it supports, and it's hap- we're happy. And as you get older, you need less or you want less. So, um, yeah, we, 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 we truck on and uh, indefinitely, I suppose. Yeah,
0: it strikes me that, uh, I mean,
1: the last few years,
0: you go in there on a Saturday or Sunday morning, or any day of the week, I guess, but like a Saturday morning is traditionally a good sort of music store, retail, browsing Situation, and you know, you can go in there on a day, and it's jam packed. People, you know, now that might not translate into a giant amount of sales, but that's the function of yeah. retailers to be open for that purpose because, they, you know, can convert down the line and all of that. But it, it just, you know, what you were saying about there not being many gigs in Wellington stuff. You know, I'd, I'd go so far as to say that Wellington doesn't actually, and there'd be a whole lot of people really instantly cross with this but. It doesn't feel like there's a huge soul or heart for music in Wellington anymore, and I think a place like Slowboat Records is is one of the places where you do find a version of that. You know, there is it is, it is a hub. Oh, no, I, I agree with
1: that. I, do, I don't. I don't know when you say Wellington doesn't it has it's lost its heart and soul as far as music goes. I don't know. I know, say the um, Festival of the Arts in its initial mm. years had a very strong emphasis on music. Mm. There was a lot of music because of the guy that was the the fellow Maxwell that used to run it, Mm. he knew, and he was, music was his love. So you had a lot of different sorts of acts. That seems to have got less and less. Mm -mm. They seem to rely on one or two big names from overseas who might or might not come. Mm. Other than that... Well, they didn't even get them this year, you know. (laughs) like they This year they had a stumbling block, I
0: guess, with announcing David Byrne and then it not happening. That was the aim, but... Yeah, it's it's certainly been a,
1: a weaker lineup this year. There's a lot of middle range artists yeah. who I'm yeah. sure that could be brought Good. over. Well, even, yeah. I mean Grace Jones is
0: yeah playing and Yeah, that's been there. that's you know, that was hugely successful by the sounds. Yeah. You know, why wouldn't it be? I mean that's a that, that's that's sort of what we were talking about before we started recording. There are very few people left in this world performing that If you've been to a bunch of shows that you think, wow, I really, really want to see that person and she's an example of that, you know, I would have loved to have gone to that. Mm. Well, like, going and seeing Prince a couple of years ago for me was a really important, you know, obviously I'm very pleased to have done that. That was a really important thing to do. I spent so much time with his music. Yeah. And he was someone I I felt I had to see. And there was that, in the end, that one opportunity to see him. So I was lucky to get to that. So, you know, that's one of those things you hang on to. Mm. And I... I could see how Grace Jones would be like that for a lot of people. Yeah.
1: It's it's, it's <coughs> so often the minutes, the minutes in your life, whether it's to do with mm. reading or writing or whatever, uh, music that you remember. You don't necessarily uh, necessarily remember the times, you don't remember the political events or you're not interested in that sort of thing, you just remember minutes. You can remember mm. a minute at a concert somewhere, where all of a sudden, for the first time, you saw Rory Gallagher in his Czech shirt. Yeah. Or you remember when Shanana came running onto the stage, or you remember Cat Stevens there at that particular point in his white suit. You can remember the band not saying a word between any song Mm. in their whole set and it being absolutely brilliant. might be seeing Marvin Gaye in his purple velvet suit. You know it's a minute here and a minute there sometimes well in terms of legacy slowboat is providing those moments those
0: minutes for you know a range of people not just for you and well, your so. staff but it, well, it is because i mean you there's a photograph in there of you meeting robert plant now you have loads of people come to your store famous people a lot of musicians that obviously love music love records yeah. go and buy some stuff you've had also, you know, we, we could both sit and name a whole bunch of people we know have been in your store that mean something to people, but there, there's a photograph of you with Robert Plant and there's, there was a photograph of him outside the store that made the paper. Yeah. That's a big event for, for a bunch. You know, a lot of people
1: took some yeah real delight out of that. Yes, they did. I was surprised. Mm. But also because Robert Plant is the sort of guy that, or the sort of musician, that would do that, and yeah. and wouldn't he wouldn't suffer fools, and he, he, you know. Yeah. But he still, you know, some customers there asked him to take selfie, you know, yeah. and he didn't mind that, and he he hung about. There are people that do that, but yeah. a lot of musicians you can imagine would no sure. more stroll up Cuba Street. You know, I remember seeing Willie Nelson; he was getting some fish and chips next door, and <laughs> and I went in with a couple of records and said. Mr. Nelson, would you kindly sign them? I don't think he came into the, into the record shop, but he was in the fish and chip shop. Yeah. Yes, sir, I'd be more than happy. Wow. And he signed the records just standing there waiting for his fish and chips. So there there are those people that was go it, out and about. Was and it others definitely him?
0: There's, there's, I imagine there's a lot of people that look like Willie no, Nelson ordering no, it, fish and chips <laughs> in Fever Street. Are you sure it was him? Yes, I'm sure it was him. I mean, I trust you. You know, I've, I've <laughs> still got the records. So wow. I, so what other exchanges have you had like that? You know, whether, whether directly through the store or through your own kind of fandom oh. or do you, you know, were you a guy that went up with your records? And I'm sort of only learning to do that now. I've I've had all these records for years that I could have gone and got people to sign and I think, oh, that's a bit naff. And
1: now I think, yeah, it's some, you know, if I've had a drink or two, yeah, I don't, I, it's, it's, it's sometimes not a problem. I regret always when Jonah Lomu came in not long before he died Mm. and he was just standing by himself looking at the DVDs and I should have just gone up to him and said, look I'm so pleased to meet you, you've given me a great deal of pleasure, Mm. etc, etc. But I suddenly got sort of cold feet. Mm. Now if I'd had a drink I probably would have toddled up. Mm. But, yeah, we've had uh, we've, the famous Jeff Healy episode, of yes, course. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: Hey, tell that story, t- tell a bit of that again, because well, you, you've he, told me that, but I forgot to bring that up.
1: That's lovely. He got left by his minder, and Jeff Healy being blind, uh, his minder took off for some reason, his local guy who was running mm. him around, and left him in the record shop because he was a collector of 78s, blues 78s and early jazz 78s, and he could run his fingers round, you could see him, he'd run his fingers round the rim of the, of the 78 mm. and he could often tell what labels they were. And then mm. he would, you know, he'd ask, what is this one? We had 78s out in the bins, as a matter of course, in those days. Mm. And so he spent some time doing this. Steve and I were there years ago. And he was playing at St James, I think that night. Anyway, his minder didn't reappear, and we didn't know where he was staying, and he didn't know where he was staying. So we had to ring round some hotels and found <laughs> out some likely hotels. I think it was something it was James Cook or something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I had an old Vauxhall uh, Austin or something or other, a great big heavy car with fins, and it let water in, so and it grew mushrooms and floor in the back so the water would get trapped there even where it wasn't raining Mm. so if you'd go up a hill you'd hear the water slurping back in the back seat anyway we stuck him in the back seat and drove him up to um the hotel let him off and he said right you know come to the come to the concert so we snuck out the concert later on that night but a lot of people, and you remember different things. Like Chris mm. Isaac came in, and I remember he, he signed for us and what have you. But he bought a Bing Crosby LP that had, I think it was Sweet Lailani on it. Well, he covered Sweet Lailani on his on his Baja sessions. Yeah, right. Um, CDs wow. So I like yeah, that's to think cool. That that's yeah, what, yeah, that's the, got yeah it from, exactly.
0: You know? Yeah, those little those little stories are the real yeah. gems, aren't they? Thinking about
1: that influence that. That that encounter had, yeah. that that moment had. But I don't know. See, a lot of the, a lot of today's ones, maybe I don't know about. Sure. And if somebody comes in from the Buzzcocks, I'm not going to know um, who, what they look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but the yes. Other guys, well, I was going to say you're that. still,
0: you're still getting them because I know I see there's a record signed um, from I think Rankin Roger from the Beat was in the other week, and I know Steve yeah. was. I, I saw him at the gig, yeah. and he said. He was actually pretty excited to, to meet this guy. So, yeah. you know, there's still those stories like that. But also, and obviously, Jeremy organises a lot of this. But you guys have been doing stuff for Record Store Day in a way that got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I guess now, you know, how do you how do you what do you do once you've had Neil Finn in the store and the the whole street was just about yeah. <laughs> closed for that. That was that was pretty epic. But you've 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 put things on, and even outside of Record Store Day. Um, book launches,
1: record yeah, launches, we do them occasionally. You know? That's right. Yeah. We can't. I mean, we've had with Neil Finn and Dobbin and mm. and, and, and etc. Mm. New Zealand's a small, gene pool. Yeah. You just can't go. You know, you'd have to start looking overseas, and it yeah. would become rather silly. So um, I'm not sure what we're doing this year. But it's a, it's a, it's a good day, and it's a day to feel pleased about. And I don't care whether people get a bit cynical. Mm. People are going to get cynical about. Any business that's mm-hmm. open that 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 they think is making a lot of money, and they're doing it on the back of something else, mm-hmm. maybe. They, I mean, it's just that's human nature. So not everybody is going to love you. Not everybody's going to um, go in. Well, the great thing, the great thing with record store day to me is that,
0: you know, you don't have to observe it or or be involved in it if you don't want to. You know, it's not hurt. Yeah. It's not. You can be you can be cynical about it, and 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 obviously, like any. Um, Artistic, yeah, yeah. Any any artistic sort of endeavour that has a, a commercial aspect to it, that's going to grow with time. As anyone rec- recognises a market, that's how they work and the market gets bigger and more things become available and yeah. the exclusivity um, disappears and all of that. Um, you, you know, you get to vote with your feet, right? Like, you don't yeah. have to be at Slow Boat or anywhere on Record Store Day. No. You don't have to line up to buy one of the exclusive releases or anything. You don't have to do that. And yes, you're entitled to say what you're unhappy about, but it doesn't mean it's, it doesn't bring other people joy. no.
1: I mean, American record shops always had sale returns, so they could always send their records back mm, mm. at the end of the month or whatever if they mm. didn't sell. We've never had that in New Zealand. Mm. You've either got to mark them down or you've got to throw them out or you've yeah, got to yeah. them sitting so there. you've got to
0: buy smart and yeah. hopefully
1: buy smart. And, and we also, we never, exp- I mean, I watched a doco on Tower Records recently yeah, yeah. and its uh, demise. We never expanded. I had ideas of it at one stage, but I never actually did it. And He's so thr- we stuck to are pretty thrilled did. about that now, yeah, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I know somebody who did expand and, and that in itself was not a bad thing, but you've got to do it for the right reasons. And if you do something like that for the wrong reasons, it's going to come back and bite you, Mm-mm. as it ultimately did. So I never, I, I had uh, ideas about having a little shop in Hampton Key at one stage. Well, God spare <laughs> us. You know, that would have, but... So yes, we've stuck to our netting as well. We mm. we don't sell jeans and we don't sell coffee and and uh, so we're the same management, the same owner and we have never gone bust, we've never s- closed our doors, we've never changed owners. Mm. Um, and we're the only one in New Zealand that has done that. We we haven't been going as long as one or two others, but they have changed owners or they've mm. gone bankrupt and had to turn around. And yeah, yeah, rebranded or yeah, whatever. Yeah. So yeah. we've never we've never stopped, um, and yeah. we've had we've got the same owner, and some of the <laughs> some of the same stuff some of the same stock yeah, probably some of the same
0: stock yeah <laughs> which will be like the 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 death curse in a way <laughs> you know yeah, like that,
1: that it'll know,
0: I know. be there to the dying days you might find that james last cd you know
1: yeah it's energy a lot of it is energy and and i just probably i'd be better supplanted by somebody who was younger than me and who had ideas and energy that i had when i was starting it all off and keeping it going for all those years mm. Because I find now that I, I don't have quite the same energy, and so consequently um, I don't have quite the same creative input or anything as I used to have
0: so w- to what what um, what is left for you to do, I guess creatively outside of that what what you know you mentioned having these demos you might tidy up and give a bit of a facelift. To. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you want to write a book? Do you want to, no, you know, you want to...
1: No, 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 no more vanity projects. <laughs> You've done your vanity project? Yeah, I, I no. And you're happy got enough. I've nothing else. Got... <laughs> I, no. Music, books and film. I like to be surrounded by them. I like to read them, listen to them. Mm. Um, uh, and watch them uh, when I'm drinking or when I'm not drinking. I got um, two beautiful girls uh, my daughters they are a life unto themselves as it were so they were that that's full on so what else do i and and i've got you know the, the best wife and man could ask for the best um partner that I could, I could never have hoped for so what else would i want you know if i want good health i should Probably treat myself a little better, not drink so much. Um, but uh, you know, that's, that's, that's it. That goes back
0: to your, you know, good luck in on one hand, bad luck in yeah, the other, doesn't it? Your, right. your 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 personal scales yeah. of justice. They're, they're, they're,
1: you do sometimes feel I have felt over the years that there is, you know been hard done by in in that regard Mm. and then like you know the opportunity to buy the building came on that really made a difference so that was good and that weighed that hand a little bit and so there was a little balancing but there never was Mm. really Um, but you do tend to suspect sometimes that there is some peculiar um, fate involved even though I'm not a, a believer in it I hold it in a closet fashion, mm, mm. you know. I keep it away somewhere in the in the head. Mm. Just because I I'm not fully convinced that there's not.
0: Mm,
1: mm. But uh, you know. Yeah, that's that's, that's like, an I,
0: that's an idea that is allowed to be and should be fluid with time I think. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. as we it as does. we progress through yeah. through through our lives and whatever happens to us. Yeah. Um well, it's been fun. I mean, I've talked to you before, and we've we've had a, a, a few of those stories before. But it's been fun talking to you, following this through because I um, I feel like well, slowboat's been. I mean, you know, this has been a big part of my life. I've been popping into the store for twenty plus years, which mm. you know uh, I discovered it early on in my arrival in Wellington, and and certainly for the last. 15 years it's 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 part of my routine it's you know well, it's part good. of my life and that's
1: good I mean it's, and
0: I know I but I know I'm not you know there's nothing special about that that's just no, me no, no. but I what I know is that um, I recognize faces not just behind the counter you know I recognize other people that it's part of their routine
1: and we uh, are drawn to what we what, mm. what we love and if if that. Uh, love without risk of getting slushy is accommodated then that that allots us a portion of happiness that we you know that we should just grab with both hands because you know there's never there's never um uh, tomorrow it's always today, and you know you just can't rely on anything but it's a a delight to to speak with you so. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Making the hidden heart Ages apart Making the differences pass by I see the outlines Drawn in the sky I see the patterns